0: Hello
1: and welcome back to Chronicled, the history of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell, the North East Football App and Engagement Editor here at Chronicle Live. And this is episode five of our walk through the history of Newcastle United. Last week we covered 1898 to 1905. Newcastle went from promotion newbies to the best team in the country, all in the space of seven years. But the campaign ended in disappointment with a defeat in the showpiece of the season, the FA Cup final. Today for episode five, we're covering 1905 to 1910, a five-year period as you're about to discover is the most successful spell probably in the club's history to talk us through these glory years i'm joined by paul joan newcastle united's official club historian the ultimate expert in newcastle united history the club have only won the league four times in the history and in this episode we get to talk about three of those victories In 1905-1906 then, Newcastle's attempt to defend their league title saw them finish fourth, but they made the FA Cup final for the second year running. Do you think there was more attention spent on the cup run than the league?
0: Well, a a pattern seemed to develop in this era. Uh, era, I don't think it was by design, but it was uh, the league one season and then the FA Cup the next season. That seemed to be the way of things. Uh, And that certainly occurred over the next five or six seasons and in 1905 or six while the champions did well in league action as you say finishing fourth attention was on the FA Cup uh, once more and they made another visit to the Crystal Palace uh, the romp to the final this time uh, in in a very convincing manner and were hot favourites to lift the trophy this time back then it was called the English Cup rather than the FA Cup they faced Everton uh, and they were big rivals to Newcastle United during much of the decade. But Newcastle again flopped at the at the Crystal Palace in, in front of the, the, the vast uh, glass um, arena um, and they lost by a single goal.
1: And this was pre-Wembley Stadium, so showcase games were taking place in Sydenham, South London, in the shadow of the famous Crystal Palace arena, as you said. Newcastle fans and players, they must have felt cursed playing there. They never won.
0: Uh, no, that, that's right. Uh, the Palace jinx was very strange. Uh, United played there five times in the years before World War One, and never won a game. Uh, while he also faced uh, the the club Crystal Palace in the FA Cup uh, during 1908 and they lost one nil at St James's Park. And that was a huge shock. But at, at the Palace uh, Arena, the, some said that the grass at Sydenham was far too long for their neat uh, possession style of football. Others said they were too nervous on the occasion um, and it it became very bizarre.
1: It's worth explaining that this isn't Selhurst Park that we're talking about where Crystal Palace play today. This was a stadium at Sydenham Hill in the same grounds as a giant glass and iron exhibition hall that originally stood in Hyde Park that housed the great exhibition of 1851. The structure was then taken down and rebuilt between 1852 and 54 at Sydenham Hill, which is now in the borough of Bromley. And it survived there until 1936 and 1905 is actually the year that crystal palace formed and they actually did play there in their early years until the outbreak of world war one but back to the northeast newcastle they were making huge strides with their own facilities at st james's park weren't they paul
0: well yeah in, in in the summer of 1905 um st james's park underwent a huge enlargement project uh with money flowing into the united bank The Victorian stand was demolished uh, and and a much larger main stand uh, erected to be known as the West Stand for decades to come. It also had a bird's eye press box uh, like the the, the 1890s version uh, to be known as, uh, and and that was equally as dramatic as the original one, but much higher. Uh, The other three sides of the ground were all enlarged, which with much bigger bank terracing, Uh, capacity was substantially increased from 30,000 to 60,000, although more came through the turnstiles. It was opened against Manchester City as the 1905-06 season started and few clubs in the country could boast uh, a a larger arena and uh, it was much heralded at the time.
1: Amazing. So one of the best teams in the country and probably one of the best stadiums in the country as well at that time. After... um... 1905-06 1905 six, then a season that didn't bring any trophies. It was into this new campaign. What do you think the focus might have been, the league or the cup?
0: Well, in Newcastle's way, it was uh, it was back to the league. Um, uh, although, as I said before, um, it, it, it certainly wasn't planned that way. I'm I'm sure of that. Uh, the start of the season in quite a, a dramatic way, in so much that a new record crowd was uh, recorded at St James's Park, fifty six thousand eight hundred and seventy six were there on a, on the opening day of the season against uh, neighbour Sunderland and it was a pretty hot day, uh, recorded as 90 degree uh, heat. Um, United won 4-2 and after that the Magpies were dominant all season in league action and secured the second championship trophy.
1: Brilliant, 56,000 against Sunderland in 90 degree heat, I bet that was a, a lively one. We should mention the FA Cup campaign for this season as well. The Crystal Palace curse—you mentioned it earlier—it struck again.
0: Yeah, Crystal Palace were then in the Southern League. Uh, they hadn't joined the Football League and and only formed in 1905, so a pretty young club. It was in the FA Cup uh, first round, equivalent to the third round now. And Palace were had had a, a side full of northeasterners They were they were managed by a northeasterner. Um, and one or two uh, ex-Newcastle Reserve players were in the side. They won um, and caused all sorts of headlines. They won 1-0 at Gallagher and uh, it was a, a huge shock.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realise that was, there was some exiled Geordies in the team either, which must have made it extra sore for the, the losing Newcastle team at the time. So uh, after dominating the league, uh, surely 1907-08 was the year that the club finally buried their FA Cup curse, was it?
0: Well, you would think it, uh, it It should have been. It was certainly back to the FA Cup for that season, 1907-08. They reached the final in resounding manner, scoring all of 18 goals in the process, including a 6-0 victory in the semi-final over Fulham. And that's still a record for that stage in the competition even today. There were even more hot favourites uh, this time as, as Newcastle faced second division Wolves. Uh, but yet again, the Palace Gremlin played its part, unfortunately, Newcastle never got going and were defeated uh, 3-1. And that was even a bigger shock than the the Crystal Palace uh, defeat.
1: Wow, yeah, I can imagine. And something interesting happened to one of Newcastle's oh. official photographers at the time. On his way back from covering the 1908 Cup final, he would have been disappointed to see Newcastle lose. But a snapper called Gladstone Adams, who was born in Biker and had a studio on Station Road in Whitley Bay, he kind of invented the window wiper on a car, didn't he?
0: Well, yes, um, you know many Newcastle supporters at that time got used to travelling to London, uh, usually by train. Uh, a few went down the North Sea by boat. Uh, there was a, a steamer uh, run from Newcastle to to the Thames, and you know, also by car. But that was a, a, a pretty uh, rare occurrence. And uh, Gladstone Adams uh, did that. He drove from Townside um, in in his. Uh, car uh, all the way to London and remember there was no motorways and very few uh, good trunk roads either so it was quite a quite a trek to get to, to London and he uh, on his way back uh, apparently as the story goes it was raining, snowing and he had great difficulty you know seeing where he was going so he uh, came up with an idea of a, some sort of wind, windscreen wipe, uh, contraption which he put together and uh, that certainly helped him getting back to Tyneside and and two or three years later he patented that design but it was never manufactured however his original prototype is uh, can be seen in the Discovery Museum in Newcastle Um, he was quite a character Adams uh, famous he became a very well-known and famous uh, photographer and uh, publisher of postcards in the northeast which are very much collected these days and he was the club's official photographer in two spells uh, from 1911 to 1929 and 1951 to around about 1960. Uh, He was one of three very well-known timeside photographers associated with the club.
1: Brilliant excuse to go and visit the Discovery Museum in Newcastle and check out his prototype when time allows. So Newcastle were clearly one of the best teams in the country. That was reflected in the crowds at the newly improved St. James's Park and in the players that were starting to arrive to play for Newcastle as well.
0: Yeah, there were certainly the the big games at Gallagher uh, now attracted excellent crowds and the club became one of the richest in in the country. Um, They were very prosperous. And as a result, uh, more top players arrived on Tyneside. The the purchase Scottish international Finlay Speedy uh, and the record signing of George Wilson uh, from Everton. And he cost uh, £1,600. Uh, he was another Scottish international uh, and uh, a, a top quality winger who could uh, score and make goals. So they had Wilson on one side and Jackie Rutherford on the other, and they were quite a potent force. And you know, while both of them were Scots, it's got to be said, back then in the 1900s, 1920s, 1930s, you know, Scottish footballers were, were really top class. There was dozens and dozens of them in the English game. Mm.
1: So let's talk about the third league championship win in the five-year period that we're covering this week. 1908-1909 remains the most convincing league campaign in the history of the club, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it was a, a monumental season for, the clo- uh, for Newcastle. This was probably the season that they really reached the pinnacle of their Edwardian, Edwardian Masters um, supremacy. Uh, they were crowned league champions for the third time in five seasons. Uh, and this time by a record haul uh, of points. Newcastle had a new centre forward that year too. Um, they went into the transfer market again and splashed out for the England leader, Albert Shepard. And he was a huge character. Uh, he replaced Bill Appleyard who had, uh, uh, was getting on a, a bit and you know, was a huge success. Also to arrive was another England international forward, uh, an exiled Geordie called James Stewart. And he was a very talented uh, schemer. And and the club now had a a squad full of international players, uh, probably the strongest they've ever had in in over 100 years.
1: So tell us a bit about Albert Shepherd. He was one of the great Newcastle centre forwards in a long line that was about to follow.
0: Yes, well, he, as I say, was a a huge uh, character. He was capped by England, signed from Bolton Wanderers. He was a very exciting centre forward, uh, famed for his Dashes through the middle, ending in a rocket shot, uh, I suppose, a bit like Malcolm McD- Mac- McDonald uh, many years later. And, uh, you know, he, he got into all sorts of uh, incidents uh, once he agreed with the club uh, officials uh, and the referee for that matter that if he scored a hat trick when he was playing away at uh, Notts County, uh, he could leave the field early to catch a train uh, <laughs> because he had an evening function uh, back. In Newcastle, uh, and he wanted to make sure he he got there. And of course, uh, Albert scored three. Newcastle were well ahead, and he left about ten minutes uh, early. Uh, just simply walked off the pitch after, just telling the ref and his players that he was away now. And he he uh, he was such a character. He scored an amazing ninety-two goals in only one hundred and twenty-three appearances for the club uh, before injury wrecked his career.
1: Amazing. Love that story about Albert. Sounds like a right character. So even though Newcastle were convincing league winners in this 1908-1909 season, there was a bit of a curious result in the Tyne wear Derby in December 1908, wasn't there?
0: Well, there certainly was. Uh, that title season also saw the quite remarkable uh, 9-1 defeat at St James's Park by rival Sunderland. Uh, The date, and everybody should remember it, the 5th of December, 1908. Um, Albert Sheppard had just been signed, and at that point in the season, uh, there was a bit of a player-director squabble. Various star players had fallen out uh, over uh, an issue, and they were demoted from the first team, uh, and the directors picked several reserves. Uh, The one at Nottingham Forest in the game before, the derby, and the, the committee uh, decided to retain uh, the same side. But the, Newcastle paid the price, uh, the biggest hammering by their local rivals ever. Uh, and never before had the champions-elect lost so heavily on home turf in a season. You know, it was only 1-1 at half-time, uh, with Albert Shepherd striking the home debut penalty. But United uh, fell behind. Uh, they were down to nine men a, at one stage through injury, and were totally overwhelmed. Overwhelmed in the second half, uh, Sunderland hit eight goals. Uh, it was uh, it was a remarkable day.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. The fifth of December, nineteen oh eight, a dark day in the history of Newcastle United. Was that a kick up the backside for the team? Then the thought of losing nine one at home to Sunderland is pretty dreadful.
0: Yes, it, it it must have been. You know, the the certainly the the reports and the the player. Memoirs that I've read from the likes of Colin Beach and uh, uh, Peter McWilliam all said that the players were absolutely determined to do something about it, and uh, the club directors and players met and they patched up the differences. The big stars were back for the for the uh, following game, uh, and the defeat spurred United on. For the rest of the season, they were absolutely magnificent, uh, and, and Albert Sheppard fitted in perfectly. And they went on a wonderful run, winning 14 of the next 18 games, including seven in a row. Um, and they were champions um, and recognised as the best side in the land. You, know, They were quite uh, sensational after that Sunderland defeat. So we can thank Sunderland for something. We can probably thank them for, for, for winning the title that season.
1: Yeah, amazing. Amazing turnaround. Newcastle. The best team in the land. That feels like a good note to end this episode on. But I'm going to flash a bit of um, bonus content up on the screen for people watching on video or on our YouTube channel. There was one more star of the team that we haven't discussed from this era. And that is this guy, Rex. There's a picture of a dog now on on our screen. Quite a canine, Rex looks like, Paul. Can you uh, describe this guy and and who he was and, and how he's associated with Newcastle United?
0: Yeah, well, Frank Watt, uh, the, the club's secretary and uh, leading administrator, uh, liked these dogs. One very early group, uh, before the turn of the century, shows a long, hairy, four-legged friend. Um, then uh, Rex came along in March 1909. He was uh, gifted by the to the club by a close supporter. Uh, Rex was a large Great Dane, black and white, of course. Uh, and he became the club's ma- mascot and uh, very much liked by officials and all the players. Colin Veach interestingly relates in, in his memoirs um, that Rex was on a regular basis tied up on the side of the pitch near the tunnel for, for home matches. Um, and once when United scored, uh, the crowd's roar startled the, uh, the dog, uh, he broke free, and ran all over the pitch, uh, barking like mad. Um, afterwards, unfortunately, uh, poor old Rex was banned from attending future games. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, he, he was a, a, a mascot, and he, he can be seen on team team photographs uh, from 1909 onwards, uh, and and very much liked by everyone at St James's Park.
1: Brilliant! I'll post this picture of Rex on Chronicle Lives website. I wonder if this picture was taken after his ban because he looks a bit sad in the picture and you say he's a great Dane and his legs are absolutely massive he's lying down in the picture but he does look like a big dog and if he wanted to get on the pitch it would take more than someone like Peter With to tackle him <laughs>
0: but, uh, yeah, yeah he, he certainly looks a, a bit of a monster that's for certain <laughs>
1: Yeah, for younger fans, Peter Wythe once tackled a dog at St. James's Park, so that wasn't the, f- the first dog to, to get on the pitch at St. James's Park. I think Rex can safely say he had that honour. So brilliant. Great way to end the show, Paul. We've chronicled the history of Newcastle United up to 1909 now. They've won three league titles in five years, but as ever, it's never perfect. There's been three painful FA Cup final defeats, a semi-final loss and a quite humiliating first-round exit to some amateur opposition who uh, had some Geordies in the team. But next week we're going to cover 1909-1910 to where the club can't quite avenge the Crystal Palace curse completely but they do get their hands on the English Cup, the FA Cup, for the first time and Paul will explain all next week. In the meantime, listeners, please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you use. Follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And keep an eye out for new episodes of Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United, every week. If you have a question about Newcastle United, we have a good person here to answer. Email those questions to the eibw podcast at reachplc.com. We'll pick some of the best for future shows, and we'll put them to Paul, and hopefully he can answer them. And lastly, stay up to date with everything black and white by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. It's free. You get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and breaking news news as and when it happens, directly emailed to your inbox. The link, I'll put that in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to Sport, Newcastle United Updates, tick the box and you'll be signed up for free. Thanks so much for listening to Chronicled, the history of Newcastle United with me, Matt Ketchell, and Paul you.